0: Welcome to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode and today we are going to be reading something that's very interesting in the spirit of prophecy about sanctification and how we can obtain it and I just thought it was really appropriate especially at this time of year when everybody is thinking about those types of things of heaven and Christmas and Thanksgiving and how to help others and and how we can grow closer to God because of all of those things. So, without further ado, let's have a word of prayer so that we can get right in. With that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us and for teaching us all of these wonderful truths. Lord, we have so much to learn and so much to gain lord we're not perfect we do so many things and yet you forgive us for all of those things that we do each and every day we do not deserve your grace we do not deserve to be sanctified yet That is the very reason why you came, to give it to us, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. We just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you and praise your holy name, and we ask that you be with us now as we learn more of you and study your word. In Jesus' precious, holy, wonderful name, amen. Okay, so let's dig right in because we have a lot to cover today. This is from the Review and Herald, March eighth, eighteen 1881. She says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Sanctification is obtained only in obedience to the will of God. Many who are willfully trampling upon the law of Jehovah claim holiness of heart and sanctification of life. But they have not a saving knowledge of God or of his law. They are standing in the ranks of the great rebel. He is at war with the law of God, which is the foundation of the divine government in heaven and in the earth. These men are doing the same work as their master has done in seeking to make of none effect God's holy law. No commandment breaker can be permitted to enter heaven, for he who was once a pure and exalted covering cherub was thrust out for rebelling against the government of God. So here we have this right off the bat, where if we disobey God's law and if we go against it, we should not expect to go into heaven, because even Lucifer himself, who once was in heaven, he disobeyed, and look at the consequences. For every action, there is a reaction or there is a consequence. We learn that in science, in the world around us. We learn that wherever we look, even in today's society, when you do something bad, expect consequences. We must make sure that we are living right and doing right, not because we fear what's to come, but because it's the right thing to do and because we love God. And because we love God, we want to do what's right. She says, With many, sanctification is only self-righteousness, and yet these persons boldly claim Jesus as their Savior and sanctifier. What a delusion! Will the Son of God sanctify the transgressor of the Father's law? That law which Christ came to exalt, and make honorable? He testifies, I have kept my Father's commandments. God will not bring His law down to meet the imperfect standard of man. And man cannot meet the demands of that holy law without exercising repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But God has not given His Son to a life of suffering and ignominy and a shameful death to release man from obedience to the divine law. So great is the deceptive power of Satan that many have been led to regard the atonement of Christ as of no real value. Christ died because there was no other hope for the transgressor. He might try to keep God's law in the future, but the debt which he had incurred in the past remained, and the law must condemn him to death. Christ came to pay that debt for the sinner, which it was impossible for him to pay for himself. Thus, through the atoning sacrifice of Christ, sinful man was granted another trial. It is the sophistry of Satan that the death of Christ brought in grace to take the place of the law. The death of Christ did not change or annul or lessen in the slightest degree the law of the Ten Commandments. That precious grace offered to men through a Savior's blood establishes the law of God since the fall of man. God's moral government and His grace are inseparable. They go hand in hand through all dispensations. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So here we see what she's saying: you cannot have the law of God without grace, and you cannot have grace without the law of God. Both of them work together for good. And if we sin and Christ had not came, there would have been no hope. Christ was the only one who could take that penalty and do what was right. So we know that Satan wants to mix truth with error because when you have a a lot of truth and just a splash of error, it is still a very dangerous thing because that error can lead you down the path of destruction very quickly. We learn from this that grace is a powerful thing. And we can get into that in another podcast, but grace is... Not as simple as we think it is. We talk of it, we sing about it, but do we really understand it in its full context? I don't think we can even grasp it here on this earth, how much grace works for us, with us, and to help us. God's grace is amazing. That is why we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. She continues, Jesus, our substitute, consented to bear for man the penalty of the law transgressed. He clothed his divinity with humanity and thus became the Son of Man, a Savior and Redeemer. The very fact of the death of God's dear Son to redeem man shows the immutability of the divine law. How easily, from the transgressor's standpoint, could God have established his law, thus providing a way whereby men could be saved and Christ remain in heaven? The doctrine which teaches freedom through grace to break the law is a fatal delusion. Every transgressor of God's law is a sinner, and none can be sanctified while living in known sin. The condescension and agony of God's dear Son were not endeared to purchase for man liberty to transgress the Father's law, and yet sit down with Christ in His throne. It was that through His merits and the exercise of repentance and faith, the most guilty sinner might receive pardon and obtain strength to live a life of obedience the sinner is not saved in his sins but from his sins this is what is really important we are not saved in sin we are saved from them which means we have to stop doing the sins which we were once doing we can't just be once saved always saved and then be like oh guess what I can do whatever I want now because I'm saved it doesn't work like that when we repent we have to then put away the sins with which we are repenting when you're truly sorry for something that means you don't want to ever do it again right so here we are continuing doing what we're doing, and it's like, are you really even sorry? Or do you just fear the consequences? Or what's happening here? But when we really truly feel that we have done wrong, we don't want to keep doing that. And sometimes it can be hard, because the sin that we're doing, we're attracted to it. And that's what Satan delights in. He makes the sin so very attractive. But we must look to Jesus, because he Can change us. He can make us into something that we once were not. That's why we have to surrender all to Jesus and to give Him our heart. Because when we give Him that heart, He can fill it with a new heart, His heart. And therefore, we don't want to do any of this sin anymore. She says the soul must first be convicted of sin, what we were just talking about. Before the sinner will feel a desire to come to Christ. Sin is the transgression of the law. I had not known sin but by the law. When the commandment came home to Saul's conscience, sin revived and he died. He saw himself condemned by the law of God. The sinner cannot be convinced of his guilt unless he understands what constitutes sin. It is impossible for an individual to experience Bible sanctification while he holds that if he believes in Christ, it is immaterial whether he obeys God's law or disobeys it. Those who profess to keep the law of God and yet at heart are indulging in sin are condemned by the true witness. They claim to be rich in the knowledge of the truth, but they are not in harmony with its sacred principles. The truth does not sanctify their lives." God's word declares that the professed commandment keeper whose life contradicts his faith is blind, wretched, poor, and naked. We need help. We need to get to the place where we are not blind, wretched, poor, and naked. That we are in harmony with what God's word wants us to do. We all have a work to do, and none of us are guilt free. God's law is the mirror presenting a complete reflection of the man as he is, and holding up before him the correct likeness. Some will turn away and forget this picture, while others will employ abusive epithets against the law. Law, as though this would cure their defects of character. Still others who are condemned by the law will repent of their transgressions and to faith in Christ's merit will perfect Christian character. Mm, this is what we all need to strive for. We need to be the ones who will look in that mirror and say, you know what? I need to change because I don't like what I see in this mirror. And that takes hard work and determination and only through working together with Christ can we achieve that this is what all of this is leading toward use this to help you, use this to gain a new heart, gain a new perspective use everything at your disposal, this is why we are told these things, not to overwhelm us, not to make us feel, woe is me but here's all of the information I want to help you, I want you to be in heaven, so therefore I'm giving you everything I can to make sure that you are there. And there is so much that we can learn and grow from if only we uh, use it and apply it and pray with an earnest heart, Lord, please help me, for I cannot do this on my own. The whole world is guilty in God's sight of transgressing his law because the great majority will continue to transgress and thus remain at enmity with God is no reason why none should confess themselves guilty and become obedient. To a superficial observer, persons who are natural Amiable, who are educated and refined, may appear perfect in life. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Unless the life giving truths of God's word, when presented to the conscience, are understandingly received and then faithfully carried out in the life. No man will see the kingdom of heaven. To some, these truths have a charm because of their novelty, but are not accepted as the word of God. Those who do not receive the light when it is brought before them will be condemned by it. In every congregation in the land, there are souls unsatisfied, hungering and thirsting for salvation. By day and by night, the burden of their hearts is, what shall I do to be saved? They listen eagerly to popular discourses, hoping to learn how they may be justified before God. But too often, they hear only a pleasing speech, an eloquent declamation. There are sad and disappointed hearts in every religious gathering. The minister tells his hearers that they cannot keep the law of God. It is not binding upon man in our day, he says. You must believe in Christ. He will save you. Only believe. Thus, he teaches them to make feeling their criterion and gives them no intelligent faith. That minister may profess to be very sincere, but he is seeking to quiet the troubled conscience with a false hope. You know, that is very true, because even today, we have a lot of preachers who say this. Hey, you only have to believe in Christ. That's it. That's all you have to do, and you'll be saved. That is not all there is to it. We must work hard. We must work with Christ. We must put away the old man, and we must put on the new man. And she continues, Many are led to think that they are on the road to heaven because they profess to believe in Christ while they reject the law of God. But they will find at last that they were on the way to perdition instead of heaven. Wow, we have such a burden. Tell others the right way, the true way. We must work at telling people that God loves them and that you can change and it is possible to not stay where you are. And we need this work in our life ourselves, we must pray that we are not deceived, that we do not fall off the path. And if we have fallen off the path, pray that the Lord helps you to get back on it. She says, Spiritual poison is sugar-coated with the doctrine of sanctification and administered to the people. Thousands eagerly swallow it, feeling that if they are only honest in their belief, they will be saved. But sincerity will not convict error to truth. A man may swallow poison thinking it is food, but his sincerity will not save him from the effects of the dose. How true. God has given us his word to be our guide. Christ has said, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, but they are they which testify on me. He prayed for his disciples. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, Paul says. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But this belief did not make his course right. When Paul received the gospel of Jesus Christ, it made him a new creature. He was transformed. The truth was planted in his soul and gave him such faith and courage as a follower of Christ that no opposition could move him. No suffering daunt him. Men may make what excuse they please for their rejection of God's law, but no excuse will be accepted in the day of judgment. Those who are contending with God and strengthening their guilty souls in transgression must very soon meet the great lawgiver over his broken law. Oh, Lord have mercy on our souls. And he will, if we go to him, if we ask in a sincere heart to forgive us, to help us, to get us up out of the miry clay that we have gotten ourselves into. The Lord will be with us. And that day is coming closer than we think. We must get ready. She says, The day of God's vengeance cometh, the day of the fierceness of his wrath. Who will abide the day of his coming? Men have hardened their hearts against the Spirit of God, but the arrows of his wrath will pierce where the arrows of conviction could not. God will not far hence arise to deal with the sinner. Will the false shepherd shield the transgressor in that day? Can he be excused who went with the multitude in the path? of disobedience? Will popularity or numbers make any guiltless? No these are questions which the careless and indifferent should consider and settle for themselves these are very good questions we must ask ourselves we need to make sure of all of these things and be like hey what am I doing with my life am I walking on the right path and she says and the very God of peace sanctify you holy and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 1 Thessalonians 5 23 the careful of the Christian is shown by his daily life, said Christ. Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Our Savior compares himself to a vine, of which his followers are the branches. He plainly declares that all who would be his disciples must bring forth fruit. And then he shows how they may become fruitful branches. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me." The Apostle Paul describes the fruit which the Christian is to bear. He says that it is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These precious graces are but the principles of God's law carried out in the life. This is amazing. We need to work on having these attributes. We need to work on getting this, the fruits of the spirit in us, to make sure that we have love and joy, and that we share love and joy with others, and peace, to have the peace of God, and to have patience and gentleness with people, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of these things are so important. They go hand in hand in hand. And we cannot have one without the other. Those who have genuine love for God will manifest an earnest desire to know his will and to do it, says the Apostle John, whose epistles treat so fully upon love. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The child who loves his parents will show that love by willing obedience. But the selfish, ungrateful child seeks to do as little as possible for his parents while he at the same time desires to enjoy all the privileges granted to the obedient and faithful. The same difference is seen among those who profess to be children of God. Many who know that they are the objects of his love and care, and who desire to receive his blessings, take no delight in doing his will. They regard God's claims upon them as an unpleasant restraint, his commandments as a grievous yoke. But he who is earnestly seeking for holiness of heart and life delights in the law of God and mourns only that he falls so far short of meeting its requirements. This is exactly right. Those who don't love God find His law a burden. Those who love Him don't find it a burden. It's as simple as that. So, do we really have true love for God? That is the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we love Him enough to obey Him? This is what love is. Love is to obey. And we are commanded to love one another as Christ has loved us. He has manifested His love by laying down His life to redeem us. The beloved disciple says that we should be willing to lay down our lives for the brethren, for everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. If we love Christ, we shall love those who resemble him in life and character. And not only so, but we shall love those who have no hope and are without God in the world. It was to save sinners that Christ left his home in heaven and came to earth to suffer and to die. For this he toiled and and prayed until heartbroken and deserted by those he came to save, he poured out his life on Calvary. What better way to show love than by dying for those you care about? She continues with this Many shrink from such a life as our Savior lived. They feel that it requires too great a sacrifice to imitate the pattern, to bring forth fruit and good works, and then patiently endure the pruning of God that they may bring forth more fruit. But when the Christian regards himself as only a humble instrument in the hands of Christ and endeavors to faithfully perform every duty, relying upon the help which God has promised— Then he will wear the yoke of Christ and find it easy. Then he will bear burdens for Christ and pronounce them light. He can look up with courage and with confidence and say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. If we meet obstacles in our path and faithfully overcome them, if we encounter opposition and reproach and in Christ's name gain the victory— If we bear responsibilities and discharge our duties in the spirit of our master, then indeed we gain a precious knowledge of his faithfulness and power. We no longer depend upon the experience of others, for we have the witness in ourselves. Like the Samaritans of old, we can say, we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This is a beautiful thing. We... Can claim the victory, we can know it for ourselves, what it means to be faithful, what it means to have Christ come in and to help us to gain the victory over all of these obstacles. And that is such a wonderful and beautiful thing. That is what I want in my life. And I have a lot to change in my life, as do we all. So we need to strive for this so that we can have the victory over all of the temptations that we are met with. It is not an easy thing because we struggle against ourselves, but it's not an impossible thing. We must remember to go to the one who will fight all of our battles if we work together with him. The more we contemplate the character of Christ and the more we experience of his saving power, the more keenly shall we realize our own weakness and imperfection, and the more earnestly shall we look to him as our strength and our redeemer. We have no power in ourselves to cleanse the soul temple from its defilement, but as we repent of our sins against God and seek pardon through the merits of Christ, he will impart that faith that works by love And purifies the heart. By faith in Christ and obedience to the law of God, we may be sanctified and thus obtain a fitness for the society of holy angels and the white robed redeemed ones in the kingdom of glory. It is not only the privilege but the duty of every Christian to maintain a close union with Christ and to have a rich experience in the things of God. Then his life will be fruitful in good works, said Christ. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul endeavors to set before his brethren the mysteries of the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and then assures them of his earnest prayers for their spiritual prosperity. And we too must work together with Christ to make sure that we search out the mysteries of the gospel, that we obtain what, truly is the riches of Christ. It's not the gold. It's not the jewels. It's not all of that. It's What he does for us in our heart. It's the transformation that he makes on our life. It's by obeying the law of God that keeps us on the right path. It's by daily communion with him. It's by all of these things that we must do. We have to take one day at a time. And we do this day by day, moment by moment. And with the Lord's help, nothing is impossible. He is waiting, willing, wanting to help us so much. He died for us. So, he is willing to do everything in his power to save us from this wicked world that we are living in, from sin, to help us to live in a world without sin. I mean, what better way is there to live forever than without worrying about all of the wickedness that is going on in the world today? It is such a beautiful thing. And there is more to this about the character of Christ, and maybe I can go through the rest of it at another time, but this was just so beautiful and so important that it needed to be shared we each have a work to do but we can pray for each other and we can uplift one another and help one another and we can go to the Lord and know that he would send every angel out of heaven if necessary to keep us on the right path and he gives us the promises and he gives us all of this information so that we can use it to be saved and to be in heaven with him eventually and that is a wonderful thing a wonderful Savior that we serve to give us all of the things necessary. Now, I wanted to sing this song.
1: It's called Be Thou My Vision. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all. little No. All riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only put first in my heart. thou art
0: high king of
1: heaven my victory won may I reach heaven Oh still be my vision oh. me say that thou art thou my best thought by day or by night waking or sleeping thy presence my light
0: and we really do need the lord to be our vision to guide us and to lead us into the right pathways and so that we can be sanctified and live forever with him and with all of this being said go and study this out for yourself and remember what it says in Matthew 5:16 let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven with that
1: being said let your light so shine so that you are a star witness for the lord